or actually you want me to play the, the yeah let's in, goodbye? let's intro the show shall we <laughs> we yeah i don't know whatever way yeah you know um hello hello welcome everyone to a, another edition of tnt here on montez press radio thank you for joining us um it's your first time listening to the show uh ton and i yeah, every month we dig into an album and, and dissect it um and kind of take a look at its history how it came about uh, its makeup and its impact on society at time so my name is tim lessick and my co-host is ton Nguyen. uh this is our show tnt and today we'll be discussing the 1995 album brown sugar by singer songwriter multi-instrumentalist and producer d'angelo and we're going to start the show today with uh, a track called when we get by out and get the show rolling yeah i think it's a very fair move uh welcome back everyone that was when we get by by d'angelo off of his debut album the 1995 album brown sugar <laughs> uh apologies for any technical what was that sorry for that technical earlier yeah yeah no worries you know, it's it's Saturday morning. You know, we're all getting up. We're just trying to make it work. It's okay. <laughs> um, so, Ton, tell me about how we came across the album Brown Sugar by D'Angelo. Um, I think uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Out to Ben, who's on Instagram right now. Uh, outside anybody who's listening on Montez Press Radio. Thanks for Tom. Uh, well, we got this. This is season two, episode two. Uh, we came across this album because. We personally thought that, you know, to end the month of love and uh, to celebrate Black history and whatnot, we thought this was a fitting album for 
us to talk about and dedicate this album to all those people spreading love. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Had you listened yeah. to this album before? To uh, this- yeah, I personally listened to this album before way back when. This came out in 1995. So let's, I guess we could do the little setup. <laughs> um, 1995, D'Angelo, uh, he's probably maybe his early 20s. He's 21. Uh, 21. And he gets a record deal with EMI. We could go a little bit more detail, but EMI and Virgin. And he, pr- he produces this really great 10-track album that's running 53 minutes long. And it, it kind of sets the foundation for what people call neo soul yeah yeah recorded uh in 94 95 in uh battery studios and rpm studios in new york and also at the pookie lab in sacramento um (laughs) the production instrumentations uh arrangement songwriting were mostly handled by d'angelo which is something we'll get into because it's it's pretty interesting but he is a pretty versatile guy um and you know again he was only 21 when he created this album but even in the early 90s 91 he began to work on this album uh with just a four track recorder and a keyboard so you know it's very interesting to to hear an album like this which you know i would kind of generally associate with like you know an rb album with this type of like vibe and feeling to it i would i would consider like a Luther Vandress or like, you know, some sort of older statesman of like R&B. Right. But he's like such a young guy. Yeah, he, what I've come to learn that he started writing this album probably whenever he was 17, 18, you know, uh, he had a, um, he's from Richmond, Virginia. I think that's the, uh, the place of birth of his family. <laughs> his, his, uh, his dad was a minister, his mother, was also like a, a avid jazz and gospel uh, listener. Um, and what happened was he, he had a group that he came up to New York with and played at the Apollo Theater. And for three nights straight, his I forget what the name of the group is. Um, they won Apollo. Apollo it was called Theater. like Michael Archer. Michael Archer and Precise, which Michael yeah. Archer's his real name. So yeah, and what was crazy, he came up to Apollo Theater from Virginia, and for three weeks straight, they won Amateur Night, and they just killed it. And supposedly, from the winnings of um, the Apollo Night, five hundred dollars, he he bought a four track and a keyboard. So that's, then, yeah, go ahead. I was just saying then after that, I'm pretty sure he, uh, you know, began writing this album. And then shortly after that, I'm pretty sure dropped out of high school and moved up to New York. Yeah, he dropped out <laughs> around, you know, early 20s, coming of age, I guess, and just came up to New York to pursue a musical career. And um, I guess what was, this is like the New York story, I feel. You know, this is like every singer's like way to like, this is how they imagine that they would ever get discovered. And what was crazy is he gets discovered by a man named 
Give me a second. Uh, Gary Harris. Gary Harris. Gary Harris. Um, if you wanna, you want me to go into that for a little bit? Uh, sure, please. Gary Harris was one of the founders of Def Jam, and he was like a record guy where he pretty much did a lot of record promotion. Uh, he helped discover and sign D'Angelo. He also helped discover Rapper's Delight and a um, whole bunch of people. He, he, he was the guy. He was the guy. If you wanted to get your record out into clubs, he was the guy to speak to, and he did the job. So he was... He was, he got D'Angelo probably a meeting because he was working at EMI at the time and an impromptu three hour piano set because D'Angelo is a multi-instrumentalist, but uh, his uh, main instrument is piano and he just killed it and got signed. It's, it's pretty know? wild, an impromptu yeah. three hours. <laughs> yeah, after moving to New York, I'm assuming he, they did like amateur nights, you know, just every week, just busting it out, busting it out. Him and his brother also wrote songs. Yeah. Together. Yeah, um, they they wrote the uh, 1994 song, which was included on a, a movie soundtrack, a movie called Jason's Lyric. I'm unfamiliar, but... Uh, I, I think I've watched that movie once. That's dedication to research, Tom. I appreciate that. <laughs> I need to watch it again, but it's a good movie. Uh, the song was called uh, You Will Know, and it was for the all-male R&B supergroup Black Men United, uh, which featured uh, some big, some some heavy hitters here. Uh, brace yourselves. Uh, Brian McKnight, Usher, uh, R. Kelly, uh, Boys to Men, Raphael Sadiq, and Gerald DeVert. Uh, I have no idea who Gerald DeVert is, but Otherwise, that's a crazy list. I would say he's old school. He's old school to us, but he's like definitely. If you say like Smokey Robinson is like first generation, I would say Jared Levert's like second or third generation, and then uh, okay. fourth generation arm soul. Oh, look at that! I, I, that's how I would kind of. Like I love it. <laughs> uh, but yeah. This is 1995. I was in fifth grade when this album came out, dude. Uh, I probably didn't listen to this album until 1997 or eight. Maybe. Yeah, I didn't listen to this album until 2021. <laughs> 2021. What? What? How did you come across it? I mean, you know, once we decided to do it for this month, you know, we know oh, yeah. we we knew we wanted to do an R&B album for Valentine's Day and for February. Um, and you know, I've. I certainly listened to a fair amount of of soul and funk, uh, but this like particular slice of R and B is certainly not something I've really dug into before. So I was, I was a little like uh, had a little trepidation going into it because I was like, oh, I don't know, if I'm, you know, this might be an album where like I really don't actually enjoy that much, and like that would be an interesting dynamic for the show. But it turns out that like actually this album is pretty good. <laughs> this album is. This album it's what they yeah. say what I was trying to tell you yesterday. This album slaps like it's <laughs> that fucking that neck slap, you know, like it's like this was a precursor to this was like molding for me personally, this was molding um hip hop and like R and B street vibes with falsetto singing but with like hip-hop beats that's that's how i would like summarize this album yeah yeah totally it's there's so many different influences going on here um which i I think is really interesting you know um d'angelo i'm sorry go ahead ahead. i was just gonna say you know d'angelo has talked about like 
being influenced by gospel and blues and soul and James Brown and Sly and Jimi Hendrix. But right. then, you know, there is this hip hop element to it as well. And he was briefly in a hip hop group prior to uh, yeah. kind of going, going out on his own. Um, but one music writer, Robert Christo, uh, noted that Brown Sugar was far more bass heavy and bass driven rather than voice led, which is interesting for albums of this genre, I think. And the time, I think, as well. Uh, yeah, because Ali Shahid Muhammad, who is part of co-producing with Q-Tip and Five Dog and Tribe Called Quest. So I don't know how that connection came about. Maybe because, I don't know. I don't know how that connected. Maybe through uh, Gary Harris. But I, th I found that mm. really crazy. So I think that's where the hip-hop influence comes in. But also Rafael Sadiq. Rafael Sadiq is yeah. an amazing producer and singer and yeah. as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. D'Angelo uh, also notes, speaking of Tribe Called Quest, uh, you know, he notes that uh, a lot of this influence came from the Native Tongues movement, which is, um, you know, was revolved around bands and groups like Tribe Called Quest, Gangstar, and Main Source, and um, was, you know, very pro um afro uh culturalism and wanted that involved in their music and i think you can you can hear some of that here as well so. and I, am i jumping too far if i name some albums other r&b albums that were happening at the time that was being released yeah, fuck, fuck it go uh, ahead <laughs> so albums in 1995 that i just gave you guys a frame of reference and where where this album sits or where we feel it sits is uh Michael Jackson's History came out around that time. History, past and present. Mariah Carey's Daydream. Prince, The Gold Experience. The Waiting to Exhale soundtrack came out around this time. Jodeci, The Show, The After Party, The Hotel. Tupac, Me Against the World. And then Montel Jordan's uh, This Is How We Do It also came out. Kathy Paz, The Guru, came around this time. Frisbee. Frisbee. <laughs> so... This is this is during the time of like New Jack Swing, you know, like this is how we do it. Just that's the era, but this was a little bit different than this. Yeah, was, yeah. I wouldn't say this was like a huge commercial success at the time, but it was. It did sell what like three hundred k in the first two months. Uh, yeah, it sold three hundred thousand copies in the first two months. Uh, it spent sixty-five weeks on the Billboard two hundred chart and attained platinum shipments within a year of release. So, and it, it got nominated for four Grammys. I don't think he won any, but he got nominated. So, still, I'll take a nomination. Nominated to to be recognized in that sense. Also, like, yo, like he started writing this at seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, I yeah. want to know what his teens were like. Yeah, <laughs> his teen was definitely just just listen to this album. This is his teens, pretty much. Yeah, that's you know, true. That's about true. Love and sensual pleasure and uh, cruising and just you know being the sly person that he is. Yeah, I think you know. I think this is that. This is when I think of this album. I this is the album. This is definitely a Valentine's February valentine's album for me this is the album where you put it on like right after dinner and right before you're about to like have that night you know <laughs> just to be straight up that's what it is that's fair that's fair i, I appreciate you know the insight into to tom's life here 
Oh, this is not my life. This is his life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to convey what he's trying to communicate, and this is what it's communicating. Definitely, I agree. Um, <laughs> we're at 20 minutes already. Uh, uh, well, to, we could play another track in a minute, but I guess I wanted to swing back. You know, you mentioned uh, New Jack Swing, and you right. know that was a that was a genre that was pretty prominent in the mid to late '80s. It was very like electronic driven, yeah. um, and one right. of the the reasons why this album kind of stood out from that crowd is because it did have a lot of like analog things. He yeah. played guitar and piano and all these different things. And, you know, um, had this kind of more of a crooner voice to it as opposed to kind of like a more synth heavy or like digital uh, sampling kind of background. Yeah. Um, so it was more of a, more of a composition, I think. Um, and so, that, you know, it partly, I think stood out because of that. Uh, people kind of referenced, you know, said it was akin to like old Stevie Wonder or Sly and the Family Stone albums, which is is really interesting to me. Yeah, I think he twisted it up really nicely. He he's a multi instrumentalist, so he was playing piano. Play. I don't think he really learned. He knew how to play guitar, but I don't think he really learned it until after Voodoo, really. Hmm. Uh, but he was playing drums on it and a, a few other instruments on the, but. He took, I think what happened, he took that analog idea of like the blues and the gospel and he he twisted it up and, and made it analog through just organic beat making and his hip hop influences and whatnot. Because I was watching this Red Bull interview and he was pretty much talking about crate digging and digging for records and whatnot. Mm. How he found this lineage or this pathway through that everything just kind of linked back to the blues for hmm. him. That's a shame. Yeah, and 1995, New Jack Swing, This it was like party time. <laughs> party time music in the club. Yeah. But also like, I would say, you want to get with whoever's in the club and have a good time as yeah. well. You know? so yeah, yeah. This was like a good a uh, good like in between of those two but a little bit more sensual yeah absolutely that. yeah and uh, another thing one thing also i think with the um, with the influence of um what's his name ali shahid muhammad like i think they wanted to take it like as a producer uh hip-hop ish like direction as well but hmm. with analog blues vibe yeah. Same. Yeah. No. Totally. Um, and it, it's interesting, you know, when you when you talk about the production of this, um, you know, we mentioned that D'Angelo is a, a multi instrumentalist and really put his fingerprint on this album. Um, and you know, other musicians who kind of sang in a falsetto voice and really did, uh, you know, had their hand on every aspect of creating an album uh, were people like Prince and. Right. D'Angelo said, you know, he was one of those guys who read the album and realized that Prince right. was a true artist because, yeah. you know, he was writing, he was producing, he was performing. And D'Angelo said that that was the way that he wanted to do it. So, I mean, you know, he could play drums, saxophone, guitar, bass, keyboards. And, you know, there was like a electric piano and a Hammond organ on here and a, a Hurlitzer or whatever that thing is called. Yeah. And like, you know, just all kinds of crazy shit. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, he reminds me a lot of an artist currently named Corey Henry. You know Corey Henry? No. 
Corey Henry is like a gospel prodigy. Like mm-hmm. you can see YouTube videos of him like at like five years old just pounding out the uh, on the organ. But he uses his electro organ, also a Wurlitzer, and also like the Hammond organ uh, on his albums. But like the style, the gospel key style in this in this album, you can definitely really pay close attention. You can really hear the little licks in there. It's <laughs> super nice. Interesting. Are really nice in there. Huh. I like uh, that. Yeah. Um, before we play another track, I found there. I found, I, did, I did find a quote that kind of relates to this that I think would is interesting to to bring up. Um, this is D'Angelo kind of talking about uh, Puff Daddy and the use of samples okay. as opposed to you know kind of analog composition. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, "People like Puffy and those other artists who rely on samples, I just don't see that sticking around much longer." Uh, Puffy says he's bringing back these old guys to the kids, but he knows he ain't doing it for that reason. That's just some alibi he cooked up. He knows half of those kids he sells to will think he came up with that that Morris White of Earth, Wind, and Fire beat first. Uh, so, I, you know, I got to say, keep it real, man. <laughs> um, do you think he has uh, reconciled that relationship just now? Because I, I don't know. Uh, do you want to tell him about how about the performance? Oh, so this I'll is a little anecdote or little thing that i find funny after mentioning that okay okay so truly uh an event of cosmic and epic proportions is that ton and i you know in january decided that we were going to do this album for february for valentine's day and as i'm doing research uh, in the last few days i see that d'angelo announced on valentine's day that he'll be performing live from the apollo theater tonight the night of our radio show about his album <laughs> you'll be performing at 8 p.m eastern at yeah. the apollo on his instagram live or versus or whatever that platform is yeah so pretty fucking wild <laughs> which is fucking wild which is really amazing the stars are aligning you know d'angelo you know you're listening you know you're you're the man you d'angelo know. if you're out there let us know i'll send you the zoom <laughs> link hop on <laughs> We might be we might become super fans soon. <laughs> uh, the reason why I asked the reason why I asked if he's reconciled that relation is because this event tonight is sponsored by Sarap, which is owned by, or maybe maybe P Diddy sold it already. But uh, <laughs> the vodka thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if P Diddy still owns Sarap or not, but it's vodka. That's hilarious. And I love that. Another news: I found out that Jay Z sold his champagne company to LVMH, who owns like Moet. Wow, unrelated, but <laughs> I thought well, that was crazy. Join us on our on our hip hop uh, alcohol crossover podcast. <laughs> uh, let's play another tune, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think we're gonna play uh, the song "Smooth." So uh, stick around. You know, we got more after the song, but uh, here's "Smooth" off the 1995 album "Brown Sugar" by D'Angelo. I'm 
That was Smooth by D'Angelo from the 1995 album uh, Brown Sugar. I'm just going to get back on this real quick. Um, this song really feels like a great like representation for what this album is. Like It has so many of those elements we were talking about. You know, it's like it starts off with, uh, with this very kind of jazzy intro and then like the you literally hear like the the bass like drop come in and then it like is like guiding the whole song from there it's really it's really interesting hook, like, when i say hook not like lyrically hook but like a, 
a slap, like I don't know, like a good, good kick snare. Yeah, know? yeah. Want to like, I don't know, like slap your shoulder or something, <laughs> hook your shoulder. Um, yeah, it's super jazzy. What I what what comes to mind whenever I listen to that song specifically is like rolling down like. LA through like palm trees or Florida or something <laughs> convertible in the 80s or something or early 90s or something like that with you know fucking just like with a big ass joint and like your girl next to you, you know? <laughs> like you know that's what I with the sunset you know with like the purple sunset coming down that's lovely wow. <laughs> you're really painting a picture for me <laughs> yeah um do you want to talk about I, I thought this was interesting, The Quiet Storm. You want to talk about The Quiet Storm or how it yeah. is? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So Quiet Storm and Neo Soul are kind of two genres that are really associated with this album. Um, and Quiet Storm itself is actually a genre I'd never really heard of before, but um, it actually dates back to the mid-70s. So the, um, it started at Howard University. Uh, in 1976, there was a, a radio program called The Quiet Storm. And it was essentially four hours of melodically soulful uh, music that provided an intimate, laid-back mood for late-night listening. And uh, it had a, a tremendous appeal to adult audiences, apparently. Um, so, you know, the music that was being played on there was contemporary R&B of, of the time. Uh, you know, that was all kind of similarly performed in a very smooth, kind of romantic, jazzy type style. Um, and the genre gets its name from both that radio program, but also I think the radio program likely got its name from the 1975 Smokey Robinson album called A Quiet Storm. Uh, so, you know, this and there is actually on this on, on this album. I think it's going to be the last track we play today is a cover of a track from that album, which is called Cruisin', uh, which is very demonstrative of the kind of quiet storm genre. So right. I, yeah, another like thing that you find when you're kind of digging into these albums. So I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. I, uh, specifically for smooth, I wasn't expecting the jazz vibe to come in there. I was definitely expecting like, the blues and the R&B, you know, but the jazz drumming style like that was really tight. And I really, he definitely gets influenced by his, his mother and father for sure. You know. Yeah, yeah, I think you can hear that kind of stuff play out. Yeah, um, I had somebody on Instagram uh, ask us if we should debate whether it, whether Brown Sugar or Cruisin is a better trap. <laughs> they wanted us to debate that and why but interesting we could do that we could do the little debate a little bit like, uh, i like <laughs> i like that all right so i will choose brown sugar yeah i think brown sugar all the way Cruisin, <laughs> nice cruising's like cruising's great but what's crazy cruising is six minutes 25 seconds long oh yeah you can really you can really get into that one you can really I, lay down and i'll to chris chris Choi out in dallas who was asking that question uh, i think i think brown sugar is more while cruising is great it's a cover of a Smokey robinson song yeah but i think brown sugar kind of more illustrates d'angelo as a person yeah, for sure. uh, you know it has all these different elements we talked about it has the jazz and the and the 
the R&B and also the the hip hop and the kind of more modern type of music. I think, I think that's more uh, encapsulated in that song. Right. So um, I love this though. <laughs> I could just do this for an hour. Yeah, I think I think that Brown Sugar is track number one. It's track number one for a reason, and it just has that D'Angelo. It's him, you know. Yeah. It's him yeah. all around one. I think it totally sets the tone. I think uh, Cruising was a tribute for sure, but in his own vibe as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought I thought the uh, your buddy on Instagram. I thought what they were gonna say was what do you think of of neo soul as a genre i thought that was going to be the question to be honest um well that's a good question to answer actually well ton what, <laughs> what are your takes do you what, tell me about the legitimacy of neo soul as a genre or not or un, or not legitimate I think it's definitely if you're into like music music and you're a music nerd like us i think neo soul is definitely valid and it's definitely real i think it's definitely a container for uh new artists to really spread their wings in in a sense you know d'angelo is definitely one of the people with with erica badu uh who else was uh uh it was his manager that coined this term neo soul to market ketter massenberg yeah yeah so they actually coined this term just to package d'angelo to the masses so and that's really interesting to me like this idea that you know, I don't know, Ketter Massenberg. I'm going to assume it's a white dude. <laughs> and maybe that's wrong with me. Sure, but that, it sure sounds like it to me. Um, and so, it, you know, it's interesting to kind of think of, you know, regardless of a race, a record exempt, a record company executive kind of creating a genre in order to package, you know, literally like think of capitalism and production, like right. package the yeah. music that d'angelo and erica badu lauren hill and yeah, maxwell exactly. were making yeah. uh so you know I, I don't know i feel kind of weird about it <laughs> yeah that's what it is in the music industry because that's it, this album paved the way for like maxwell as well right uh, other maxwell albums tony rich and eric benet down the road and what's crazy is this is like a early 21 year old paving the way for like later artists you yeah know, that are like you know and the packaging, I guess, is like you're you're pretty much selling a product, right? The product is the personality, right? And mm-hmm. whether it's right or wrong, you have to tell people what what you're buying or what they're buying or what they're gaining. Yeah, simplest form, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's it's really interesting. Um, also, correction: Ketter Massenberg is an African American man. Apologies to him. Uh, <laughs> but you know, is it kind of brings up the larger question of like the description of a, of any sort of musical sound as one thing as a genre is a genre only a marketing term or is a genre right. description of this type of, you know, any type of music, which so that, like, I don't know. I just thought like this, this sparked like a lot of really interesting things. Yeah. I think, you know, no matter what genre it is, I think if you're a music maker or musician or, really love music music is music right yeah uh, yeah that's true or only containers for descriptions i guess you know to describe something to somebody because yeah. obviously we've understood that there's jazz there's quiet storm there's you know R&B. post post bop and you know all kinds yeah. of different <laughs> subgenres. And, yeah you know. so like you know it's it's really there to I guess it's like as much as we don't like it, it's there to 
describe something to us so that we can buy something. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, and especially you know, you think of the music industry in the the '90s and really up until like Napster and like how incredibly exploitative it was of the artists and you know, it still yeah. is today, but for different still reasons. Today, it's just yeah. package, right? Yeah, it's just different reasons. Yeah. Um. So D'Angelo had a take on Neo Soul that I'd like to share. Um. So. D'Angelo essentially thought that the genre of Neo Soul and the description of his music and others as Neo Soul was nothing more than a marketing tactic. Uh, quote, once you put a name on something, you put it in a box. You want to be in a position where you can grow as an artist. You never want to be told, you're a Neo Soul artist. Why don't you do Neo Soul? I never claimed that. I never claimed Neo Soul. When I came out, I said, I make black music. So interesting. He does not want to be put in a box. Yeah, I think he speaks for a lot of artists. It's really hard for artists to even like give themselves a genre. Yeah, you know? and you know, you know, you also think of of Prince being such a heavy influence on on D'Angelo, and you know, Prince is notorious for kind of rebelling against the constraints that his labels would put on him, and you know, went so far as to change his name and, you know, become a symbol yeah. and all this stuff. So it's like, it's interesting to kind of see how these through lines play out. Prince is like his own genre, man. <laughs> I agree. We got to do a Prince I album sometime. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Do you want to talk a little bit more about, I kind of want to go into like history, I guess. Okay. The history. Yeah, please do. Earlier. Um, the themes, the themes and lyricism for the album was def—it's definitely love, and I guess a young man's experience, or, or what would you say, like, uh, well, experience it, it, and gravitation towards the human condition of love. That's that's really the only way that I could describe it, really. I love that. That's a very apt description, I think. <laughs> um, you know, we talk about how young he was when he wrote this, and, like, there's one song on here called uh, Shit Damn Motherfucker, <laughs> and uh, which, A, is, like, it also, like, reinforces how this is, like, such a blending of, of new and old, but also the song is about, like, how he finds a man, like, cheating on, or his wife cheating on him with a man and how he's going to, like, gun them down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, very similar to like, hey, you know, talk about a song like, hey, Joe, like very, very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, he's 21. Like, is this just like a story he's created? Or is this like a literal, is, does he have a wife at this point? Like, it's just kind of wild to me. Uh, I don't think he has a wife. But I think <laughs> a young kid or in his early 20s, you're definitely having and gaining a lot of experiences, especially... I mean, just put it out there. If you're a musician, man, you know, you're out there singing. You have a voice like his and like you have like this crazy body like his, you know, like what else, you know, you yeah, yeah. Show or whatever. And like he, I think this album was definitely a lot of firsthand experiences. <laughs> I don't know if he had a wife or anything like that, but uh, I think it's definitely a lot of firsthand experiences and trying to get those experiences out or maybe seeing his his family or friends or whatever you know yeah yeah totally i mean you know it also like is you know we just referenced like the Jimi hendrix song uh, hey joe you know it there are plenty of examples of this taking place in uh genres that you know focus on love and heartbreak and all that kind of stuff so it's uh i just thought it was really interesting to like see that play out you know knowing how young he was i you know 
I was just like drinking PPR when I was 21. So I, you know, I can't relate. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah. 21, I was definitely out partying and going to shows and whatnot, <laughs> not thinking about my wife cheating on me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <sighs> all right so let's uh, talk about uh let's get into the history okay well uh just wanted to dive into some history in 1995 90, 1995 was pretty crazy year i guess clinton was in office um and let's see oj was happening so during this album when this album came out uh the oj the trial of the century oj was happening um Oklahoma City bombings was happening. Um, Tor Story was the first Pixar movie came out. This is twenty six. This album is twenty six years old. Wow. Uh, Pope John Paul II made his first like tour. Uh, <laughs> you, got, you had to have been there for JP 2s first tour, man. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, just to go deeper in a little bit of like Black history that I was doing a little research on. Um, it was the Million Man March in October. Uh, it surpassed 250,000 people who gathered in, uh, originally in 1963 uh, for Dr. Martin Luther King's historical I Have a Dream speech. Um, the march, I think I remember that happening. Yeah, I think I have vague recollections of it, but, yeah. you know, no real information. Nation of Islam, although it was... Uh, you know, organized by the Nation of Islam. There's everybody. There's yeah. all Americans of all races and whatnot that gathered together. Um, going back to my hometown, specifically Dallas, I guess that's my hometown. Mayor Ron Kirk was the first black mayor to have occupied that seat <laughs> in Dallas, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, he won 62% of the vote during that time. And he also, if you don't know Ron Kirk, he actually served during Obama's administration as the U.S. Trade Representative in 2009 to 2013. Mm. Um, another person that we should do some more research on, but I also thought that it was fitting to let you guys know, is Lonnie Bristow is appointed president of the American Medical Association, which is who is like the first black person to take that position. Uh, also... Dr. Helene Doris Gale uh, was appointed National Center, was appointed director of the National Center of HIV, STD, and TB Prevention for the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention as the first black woman, which, which is super cool. And um, just to kind of throw in like a wrench in the hole and not get too serious, but a little sad is that our friend from NWA, EZE, died of complications of uh, the HIV AIDS disease in, in March of 26, 1995. So uh, there were also a few uh, Supreme Court cases about gerrymandering and uh, about the Fifth Amendment that arise that really put people, put things in perspective for the Black community and just us as a society in general. So that's kind of the rundown history of what was happening. The, the two major things I would say is like Oklahoma City bombing and OJ. Yeah. And during that time, that's pretty crazy. Like we're 1995 was 
you you have OJ and you have Oklahoma City bombing. You have like us terrorizing our own country. Mm-hmm. You know, and people at odds with each other, and you know, obviously bringing back up like the LA riots and stuff like that too within the racial scene that was happening or whatever during that time. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always interesting to, me to kind of hear, uh, you know, the the kind of history rundown that you bring to these shows, and then look at the singles that were happening in that year. And, yeah. you know, you, we just, there's so much like heavy, interesting stuff that you talked about, but the singles on the chart, like really reflect like a time of just like what I feel is like ignorance, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> like half of these are like of the specific album or just in general of charts of the genres of music that were coming out. At the time. Yeah. So like the, the top 10 singles for 95 okay. were Gangster's Paradise by Coolio oh, from shoot. a movie, uh, Waterfalls and Creep uh, by TLC. Yeah. Uh, Kiss from a Rose by Seal, another movie soundtrack thing. Uh, yeah. On Bended Knee by Boys to Men, Another Night by Real McCoy. I don't know what that is. Uh, Fantasy yeah. by Mariah Carey, which is like so lovey dovey and, and bright and poppy. Yeah, and girls, top five for sure. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Take a Bow by Madonna. Uh, don't Take It Personal by Monica. And This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan. And so, like, you know, there's these tracks are like, so I don't know, like some of them are either very intense and serious, like Gangster's Paradise is like very serious, but it, you know, it's just based on a movie and, yeah. uh, you know, or like very, very poppy, like, you know, uh, Mariah Carey. So it's just, it's interesting to see like kind of how these singles and, you, and, you know, I think these are, are U.S. singles, but like how they reflect kind of the culture and like zeitgeist at the time. It, it's really fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it aligns at all. <laughs> yeah, 1995 was just so... I remember it kind of as a kid, but it was just kind of a wild here. Uh, I'll give you some other stats. Um, US GDP, what, whatever this means to anybody, I if you understand it, it was $7.2 billion. Uh, right now, I don't, I don't know what it is right now, but that's a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> Let's see. I don't know what our federal debt is right now, but in 1995, it was four four nine two one billion dollars. Oh, we're easily in the trillions now. So, so uh, the median household income was thirty four. Why does it say median household income current dollars thirty four billion? Wait, be- what? That doesn't make sense. Uh, <laughs> And then unemployment, I don't know what our unemployment is down to what? Like, is it below 10 now? Or is it still at 10 or 11 or 12? I think it's, yeah. A, yeah, I think it's hovering around there. Yeah, uh, unemployment <laughs> was at 5.6%. And the cost of a stamp was 32 cents, which is, I think it's 42 cents now or something like that. I think it's like 50, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah I, I don't know. It just feels like such a a, a time where like tabloids and scandal were really dominating the airwaves and like a lot of people's attention, you know, as cable news started to really like proliferate in a, in a real way. And everyone had CNN all of a sudden, like, yeah. you know, that's the OJ basically made CNN as far right. as like, you know, a network. Um, it's 24 hour news pretty much. Yeah. And so it's interesting to kind of like see how the singles and the albums like from that year, reflect what was happening um i don't even think dial-up was even happening yet was it 
know actually. AOL was happening, but it wasn't common. Like AOL was happening, but I don't think I didn't get AOL until maybe like middle school, which is mm. like 97. I was only eight years old when this album came out, so I don't recall exactly <laughs> when the internet started uh, to, to, to be created. Okay. Um, um, so as we as we begin to uh, wind down here, um, Ton, would you would you recommend that people uh, go out and and listen to this album? Yeah, for sure. I think this is if, especially if you don't really listen to a lot of black music or R and B or anything like that. I would definitely suggest to listen to it because it's just a different perspective. You know, it's also a human perspective of somebody's uh, relationship to what I was saying earlier, the human condition to love and whatnot. So it's just another cultural perspective for somebody to understand the human condition. So yeah, that's the way I would say to, you know, to frame the album. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would say that um, if you are really unfamiliar with this genre, like I was like, this is, I think this is a great place to start. Um, I think it has a lot of really interesting elements and i think the the story of of d'angelo you know we didn't even talk about him after this album but a fascinating story and you know most people know him for uh the music video from uh second album voodoo uh, called untitled where he is very cut and very naked um (laughs) (laughs) so you know most people most people know from that and you know can't blame them for that um it's like it's like I'm sure a lot of people have posters of that album on the wall and you know <laughs> playing that video nonstop. You know, big, big time, big time. Yeah. Especially uh, you know, as as we're all alone in quarantine, <laughs> yeah. different people. You know, uh, um, so yeah, I would definitely dig into this album. Um, you know, I don't know if I've ever listened to Voodoo. I think I listened to his third album once, uh, Black Messiah, and I remember that enjoying that. And it definitely has a lot of these similar analog-driven yeah. kind of elements to it. So. Yeah. Definitely check that out. Yeah, uh, if, you, if you're a tribe fan or you're a hip hop fan, this is definitely a good introduction to just R and B, you know. And then you start at one place, you go forward, or you go backwards, and this is a good place to start. Absolutely, I love that. Ton, anything else you want to say about this album before we close out the show? Um, not really. Uh, I wanted just to mention. I'm not going to read it, but I just wanted to mention that John Mayer is also a fan of. D'Angelo so uh, he what was funny he he wrote an open letter in Esquire magazine about Voodoo which is uh, his second album D'Angelo's second album about D'Angelo making another album that he needs to make another album so if you find it you should go read it it's really hilarious yeah it's pretty funny (laughs) Uh, I also wanted to see if you wanted to name one quote that you really like about the album one quote about the album that I really liked. Um, Did you find any good quotes or reviews or anything that you thought was cool? Uh, I did find some interesting quotes. I, I, they don't, none of them are coming to me right now. None of them are standing out to me at the moment. Um, you guys could find your own quotes. And- yeah, do your own research. Tom <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I are going to do this at, you know, for you, T2B. Um, uh, no, so, that's it, really. Thank you yeah. for listening yeah thank you to montez press radio as always for having us we'll be back next month march 27th saturday 10 a.m uh the album that we're going to be talking about next month is request from a listener uh we're going to be doing lucinda williams her self-titled album 
So please feel free to listen to that and join us next month on March 27th. Um, if you have a suggestion for an album or want to give us any feedback, give us love, send us toys and money and treats and whatever, uh, you can email us at tntradionyc at gmail.com. So please feel free to reach out to us. Uh, follow Tan on Instagram, Out of Print Records. And just to also mention, uh, while new episodes come out every month on Montesfras Radio Live, we're releasing the archives of our first season every other Friday. So next Friday, our third episode from uh, last season will be coming out next Friday. So stay tuned for that. You can find us on Apple. You can find us on Spotify. Any other way that you listen to podcasts, we're on there. So feel free to search us, TNT on Montez Press Radio. Uh, and on the way out, we're going to play a little bit of that six-minute track, Cruisin', uh, which is, again, a Smokey Robinson song originally covered by D'Angelo. So thank you very much. Thank you.
All right, dude. Peace out. Yeah, man. Sounds good. I'll send you the uh, recording later on. So, all right, man. See ya.